RadioInfluence.com. The future is now. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Hey, everybody. Uh, Normally, I kind of start off yelling and screaming about the fact that it's a Friday and it's a Duffified Live day. But today's show is actually pretty serious. Um, uh, A couple of months ago, I was out with some friends. I was up in New York and it was a friend's birthday and she invited me over and I I met some really, really dynamic people. I met some really cool people. I was out that night. You know, the guys who were out there. Um, playing basketball that are out there running for the gold right now. Um, we, I met those guys up there. I also uh, met a pretty impressive uh, person who runs a whole bunch of, uh, of, of animal shelters out in Denver, Colorado. Um, and at the same time, I had a conversation with a, ne- a gentleman named Raleigh. Uh, sorry, I, to- well, I just totally, uh, completely lost his last name. I don't know why. I had a. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. All right. And I, I met this guy uh, while I was at this event, and his name's Raleigh Sadler. And Raleigh is a pastor who works with a group called Let My People Go. And Let My People Go is actually a, a series of church partnerships that work with, are you ready for this? Human trafficking. Like human trafficking. It's, the, it, it's, it's something that we've only heard and seen in movies. It's not something that we think about in our communities. Um, and and I... I like, as you can tell, I'm kind of speechless because I, I really was just so thrown back by the conversation because after listening to him talk and listening to some of the scenarios and the statistics and the, and just the mass of human trafficking that's out there that I just never, ever knew about. I mean, you, there's some pretty there's some pretty massive stuff to think about, you know. Uh, and, and I, I just, I just, I didn't know, I had no idea that it was such a rampant and such a massive global thing that's involved in human trafficking. And, uh, you know, they say that there's cases in every 50 States, you know, it's a $150 billion a year industry of human trafficking. And, and for us, there's a lot that we can do, and I, I just want to kind of stop it right there because I think that as you hear this episode, you're going to hear me almost silent in the beginning and kind of stuttering for questions because my normal interviews, I ask three questions. Who are you? What do you do? And how can we get in contact with you? And that did I did ask those questions, but then the, 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 the heaviness, the weight of this conversation kind of stopped me and I had to regain my composure because I was shocked just listening to what he had to say in the beginning. And then I think the conversation really grows from there. So I want everybody to do me a favor and I'm going to give you a couple things real quick. I'm just going to say this for human trafficking and you're going to hear this a little bit further down the road. This is kind of a PSA here, but if you see something weird that's going on and you're going to hear me say this more than once during this episode, do not mind your own business. If you think something weird's going on, you can always call 911 and you can do what's called a welfare check where you can let the police know that you think that something weird is going on and just make the call. The cop, the police are going to come out. They're going to do a quick investigation. 
you, what's the worst going to happen? You're going to piss off an individual that you've never met before. Well, that sucks. You know what? You're doing a welfare check on something. Um, you can also text be free. Uh, just text it to be free and you can, uh, you, you can have a communication right there. There's also a number that you can call, keep it in your phone for human trafficking, which is one 888 Why do I say this? The reason why I say this is because I travel all over the world. I travel extensively throughout the United States. And as I have this conversation with Raleigh, I backed up and I started to have flashbacks of different scenarios and people in weird positions. I think about all the old employees that I've, I've worked with and, and, and I, I think that you guys will as well. So this is a big episode. It's a pretty heavy episode as well. Um, so I want everybody to do me a huge favor. I want you to welcome from Let My People Go, which is a church partnership against human trafficking. And uh, one of the big leaders of that is this gentleman named Raleigh Sadler. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome Raleigh Sadler from Let My People Go to Duffified Live. Raleigh, what's going on, brother man? Hey, how are you? I'm good, man. It's good to hear your voice. Last time we talked, we were standing at a bar, a Philly bar in New York, watching the Eagles play. We were. I we were. It. I think yeah. we were at a birthday party. We were. That's right. It was uh, Shannon's birthday party. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that was pretty funny. And it was nice. It was nice chatting with you as well. So I'm glad we were finally able to get you on the phone um, to, to kind of do a little chat over here. Yeah. So, uh, for anybody, for everybody out there who doesn't know who you are, why don't you tell me who you are, what you do and how we can get in contact with you. So my name is Raleigh Sadler and I lead a nonprofit called let my people go. And we work with churches, basically faith communities to help them fight human trafficking by loving people who are vulnerable to it. Wow. And honestly, the best way to get in touch with me is through our website, which is lmpgnetwork.org. lmpgnetwork.org. Absolutely. Love it. All right. So why don't you tell, I mean, first off, what is it, what is exactly that you guys do? So our goal is to kind of, kind of cover just one small slice of the anti-trafficking movement, and that's working with faith communities, because there are a lot of faith communities that are hearing about issues related to human trafficking, but they don't know what to do. A lot of them don't know how to really care for people who've experienced severe trauma or who are just knee-deep in vulnerability. And so what we do is we come alongside of the church and say, we're going to help you as a congregation, and we're going to help you collaborate with local stakeholders. So we're going to help you be a safe church for vulnerable people, but we're also going to help you collaborate with local stakeholders so that you can learn how to identify and respond to the vulnerabilities that traffickers target in your community. So where, I mean, is there, is there one community that is seeing this more than another? I mean, is it a West coast thing an East coast thing? That's a great question because Oftentimes we think, well, we don't have human trafficking here. It's not in our backyard. But, I mean, the last statistics that became available basically said there are more than 40 million people who are held in what amounts to modern-day slavery around the world. Cases have been reported in every country as well as every state. You know, it's happening in big cities, but it's also happening in rural areas. Anywhere where there is someone vulnerable, anywhere 
where there is homelessness, where there are immigrants, whether they have documentation or not, that doesn't matter to a trafficker. Whether there are single parent households or those who are coming from cycles of abuse, whether it be physical abuse, emotional abuse, substance abuse. Um, I mean, any area where there can be any vulnerability, you're going to find someone who has more power and is looking to manipulate that, that vulnerable person. And right. so I would say that it's going to look different in every place, but it's going to be in every place. Like human trafficking can happen anywhere because there are vulnerable people everywhere, basically. So what, what exactly is human trafficking? So, another great question. Um, I think simply put, the best way to describe it would be that human trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability for commercial gain. So whether someone is trafficked for sex, whether where they could be forced into pornography, um, forced into stripping, forced into prostitution, they could be doing webcams the whole nine, or they're trafficked into labor where they're working in the back of the house at your favorite restaurant or at a construction crew, or they're holding a sign telling you, go to this watch store, go to right. this electronic it's tax store. time, boys and girls. We right. see everybody standing out there. <laughs> Absolutely. Or they're peddling or they're selling you like a bootleg DVDs. You know, I mean, we see that a lot in New York. I mean, that could be labor trafficking. And then you have domestic servitude where someone could be trafficked into the hospitality industry. You know, really? someone could be a nanny. You know, we just assume that everyone is being paid fair wages, that people are being taken care of. But sure. what we're finding is more often than not, human trafficking victims are hidden in plain sight right behind our assumptions. So we got to peel back those labels and actually investigate and talk to people and see what's really happening. I mean, so, I mean, you know, you, you mentioned hospitality, you mentioned back of the house, you mentioned all that. I mean, how am I, how am I even to know that, that this is going on? I mean, what is, what is the, how do I know? I mean, I, I've never felt less educated about something than I do this. You know, we hear about it. We've seen movies. You know, we've all seen, you know, Liam Neeson chasing after his daughter, you know, in the bottom of a yacht. <laughs> You know, I mean, and that's really yeah. the only thing that we ever yeah. hear about it. And and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, because when you and I were in the bar, like you and I, you and I went for the birthday party. We're standing around. We're talking. It was me, you, a couple other guys. And, and you and I talked for about a half hour, 45 minutes. And I was like, I, I really just had like I, I just felt I felt helpless because I had no idea that something like this was going on. Under our nose. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think for us, we, we have to first be educated about what human trafficking actually is. I recently wrote a book called Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking, and, and I gave that subtitle to it because just like you mentioned, I feel like the majority of what we know about human trafficking comes from Hollywood. It comes from some documentaries we've seen, and ultimately, our response is going to mimic what we've seen if that's our only frame of reference. So. When we've seen Liam Neeson get on the phone and say, I don't have money, but what I do have is a particular set of skills. Right. You, you know, we find ourselves thinking, oh, gosh, you know, these girls will be in traffic, man. Like, what do I have to do to rescue them? How can I get out there and, like, save them? But the right. problem is we can do more 
harm than good. And we can, we, if we don't know. And so I think one way to start is read good books, you know, like read things that are out there to help change the way you think. There's a website called the Polaris Project.org. This is kind of like the Grand Central Station of the anti-trafficking movement. You can learn about all the myths of human trafficking. You can learn how to recognize the signs of human trafficking. You can learn the national hotline number because there's a national hotline number. If you see anything, you can actually call and say, hey, I, I think I'm seeing something. Um, could could you let me know what to do? But But to know if you're seeing something, you have to kind of learn the signs. You have to read good books. You, you, it's, it's almost cyclical in that way. You, you're so, not going to know what to do until you know what it is. I mean, what, so like what I'm actually on the Polaris project right now, what are, I mean, what are some of the signs here we go? We've got human trafficking initiatives, take action, get assistance. And I've got your site as well, which is actually very inform- informational. Awesome. The one that you guys have. Yeah. It's very informational. Well, and I think, where we start is rather than telling people, hey, here are the red flags, we say, here are the people that traffickers generally target. It's your homeless neighbor. It's your LGBTQ neighbor. Hmm. It's your immigrant neighbor. Um, those who have experienced prior abuse those who have experienced domestic violence, um, single parent households, the community of color, women and children, um, both those two populations are disproportionately impacted. Right. Um, and and we also, off- you also named like almost every scenario. Yeah, basically. In and every feel- single community. And if we're looking and seeing, okay, who of all those people are most vulnerable in our community? And kind of taking, I mean, regardless of what background we all come from, I think everyone respects Mother Teresa. She got in there and she she did the thing. I mean, and someone once asked her, they said, how did you end up impacting global poverty? Like, how did you do that, Mother Teresa? And she looks at this person, and I swear she had to have smiled because – my mother Teresa is smiling when she says this because my mother Teresa is a little sarcastic. I don't know if that was the actual mother Teresa, but right. when I, when I picture it, I look at, I think mother Teresa is like looking at this person saying, you start with the thing that's in front of you. Yeah. And that's what she did. She realized she had vulnerable street children who were being sold into prostitution. They weren't choosing that. You can't choose that as a child. There's no such thing as child prostitution. Right. If you're under the age of 18, it's all trafficking. And so you've got these kids who have no options. And, and that also impacts our choice, right? Like if we have zero options and we say, oh, we chose this, did we? And especially because 75 to 95% of those in the commercial sex industry, this is a stat from the Yale um, School of Law and Feminism, 75 to 95% of them had been sexually exploited at some point um, in their life prior to making that decision. So I feel like when we're, when we're looking at this, we have to say, okay, who are the people in our community who could be exploited? 
How do we engage them? And then we can look for the signs. Because if you're, if you're focusing on vulnerability, then it's not a far leap to notice the exploitation thereof. Right. Dude, it's, I mean, I, I don't even, I, honestly, I don't even know where to go because I feel like it just by your description of, of the people that are targeted alone. I mean, it's, it's staggering. I mean, it's, you, you named yeah. like every single community that's out there, single parent home. Boom. That's me. You know, uh, yeah. I, I mean, like I'm a single dad, you know, I've got two yeah. girls, 18 and 15, you know, my daughter was talking to me about going to Spain this summer for graduation. And I'm not even going to kid you. I was like, I'm talking to Raleigh next week. <laughs> like, I want to know what it is. I mean, where, where are most of these, where are most of these people, where are they ending up? I mean, where are they being taken from or, or is it, is it through a promise of, Hey, we're going to make you give you a better life or is it, or is it, you know, the way that they're saying, Hey, look, you're a homeless person. You have nothing to offer. Come with me and I'll make something better for you. I mean, how is, is this? I just don't I understand a child, how a child can be talked into something because they're going to be trusting. You know, if I'm a homeless kid, I ran away at 13. I'm running around the streets of, of New York you know, sleeping in alleyways and stuff like that. Somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, look, I'll take you in. You've had a tough run of it. Come in. I'll, you know, I'll give you some money. We'll help you out. I, I just, I don't, how, how is it that they're being targeted in that way? I mean, is there, is there a way that you guys are seeing more than others? Yeah. So to understand the exploitation of vulnerability, we have to understand kind of the three tools in a trafficker's tool belt. These are like the means of human trafficking. This is how they actually get it done. And that's force, fraud, and coercion. Okay. They will force someone into doing something they would normally not do by saying, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to hurt you. I'm right. going to beat you up. I'm going to hurt your family. There's, there's some form of force, but this is often not the leading way of um, introducing someone into a life of trafficking, whether it be for sex labor or domestic servitude. But it's it's kind of seizing upon their their vulnerability, their their sense of exposure or susceptibility and saying, you know, you must do this or else. And then there's fraud. Um, this can be anything from like one of my friends you know, she fell in love with a guy and he treated her great, he treated her wonderful for about a year. And then, then he, he starts to flip the script. He says, you know, if you really love me, then, you know, I'm dealing with some debt. I'm dealing with some debt. If you really love me, you will um, go on a date with this guy. And she's thinking, I don't want to go on a date with this guy. But he's like, no. if you really love me, you'll go on a date with this guy. Well, what he was doing that whole time was grooming her. He really? didn't love her. And so it's fraud. And so some, some people say they, they show up, you know, like you live in Philly, but you come to New York, you know about the Port Authority. Sometimes you got to take a bus. And so you take the bus to the Port Authority and there's a lot of kids who get to the Port Authority because they're trying to get away from something. Right. They, they had a horrible stepdad or they weren't accepted by their peers or something. They take all the money they have. They get to New York City to start anew, and they don't have anything to start with. They have no money. They have no place to stay. They have no community. They are isolated and alone. 
and a, a trafficker sees them and says, Hey, Hey, um, if you want some work, I can, I can connect you to something. Or if you need something to eat, Hey, let, let me go buy you some Taco Bell or, you know, like, or you're beautiful or, you know, they, they address that, that unmet need. And, and the problem is most of my friends who've been trafficked, they'll typically say, you know, traffickers are monsters and they're narcissists and they're all around horrible people. But, you know, there were, there were some times that were good and, and they did meet needs that may maybe weren't met before. And, and that think that's why it can be difficult for someone to step away is because the trafficker knows that they can't just brutalize you continually and you do what you're doing. You keep doing what you're doing. Like right. you've got to build a trust. You've got to, mm-hmm. you've got to pull that person into you to ultimately be it a gratitude through debt, a gratitude through love, a gratitude through, you know, product, something that's being given to them, you know, and then, Hey, I did all this for you. And now you're, you know, you're not going to do this for me. Come on. Absolutely. And that's, that's where we see fraud. And, um, and often you, you mentioned it, this gratitude through debt idea, traffickers will often say, Hey, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give you this. Right. Here's new clothes. Here's an iPhone. Here's, you know, into a 17 year old kid whose mom kept taking her iPhone from her. I got my own, you know, so. And they're going to keep doing that. And then they're going to build a, a, they're, this person's going to be very indebted to the person, and then they're right. going to say, "Hey, you owe me twenty thousand dollars." Yeah. Well, well, I don't have money to pay it. I'm like, I need my money. Well, maybe you start working it off, and so that's what fraud can look like. But then there's also coercion, where, and I've I've seen this a, a lot, where you know, I would say not everyone in pornography is trafficked. But almost everyone who has been trafficked for sex has been in some form of pornography. And I've had friends who they've been like, you know, my trafficker said if I ever left him, he was going to upload this online. Wow. And he did. See, we don't know. We don't know if the person on the other side of the screen is there by choice. We just don't. Sure. And so, and so it's like you have this kind of situation and I, man, I can't tell you how many calls I've gotten from people who are like, it's uploaded. What do we do? You know? And, and that's, that's really hard. That's really hard to deal with because it's very difficult to get things off the web once they're on there. Oh yeah. we And, yeah. and so it's just like, yeah, traffickers are using force, fraud and coercion, but, but that's how they do it. They find that vulnerability kind of like a shark, senses blood in the water and sure. then they know exactly what to do when, when they encounter it. How did, how did you get into, uh, to, for, tell me a little bit about you. Tell me a okay. little bit about you. How long have you been doing this? So I started this, oh man, I started this in 2013. Okay. So we're six years ago. What yeah. were you doing prior to this? Because you're an intelligent dude. I mean, I really enjoyed talking to you while we were there, and and and, the, and, and I, I was very intrigued by by all that you you're doing with this. What were you doing prior to this? So I was 
I was a college pastor at a historically black college and university. Okay. In West Virginia. Wow. Yeah. And it was incredible because I can look back and say, because West Virginia is not, it's just not a nice place, but not very much like New York City in any way. What part of West Virginia were you? I was in Charleston, West Virginia, in that area. Okay, yeah. My daughter wants to go to West Virginia University. I have okay. I have clients in Bridgeport. I mean, I know okay. West Virginia. You know, I know it. I don't know as deep down into West Virginia. I know more of those northern Bridgeport, you know, uh, uh, Morgantown areas than I do anything else, which is like going to Pittsburgh. It is very much like going to Pittsburgh in those yeah. areas. And what I found with where I was is you would go there and you would be like, there's not much happening here. Right. But then once you start looking under the surface, certain towns had um, – there was high methamphetamine usage. You go to other towns and there's extreme poverty. You know, you see all these rampant vulnerabilities. And so I was starting to experience that. But it was on that campus where I was surrounded by students who – many of them were legacy students who their grandfather – went to West Virginia State University, and um, so they were coming, and these students were from the Northeast. So for me, I'm in the middle of West Virginia, but I'm practically in the sixth borough of New York City. Like, right. And these are all city kids, and, and I feel like that was kind of part of my preparation, but I also had these um, – pastors from the community of color who were coming alongside of me and they said, okay, so you teach about the faith and that's great, but how do you demonstrate it? You know, how do you do justice and mercy? Have you thought about, um, like, have you thought about systemic injustice? Like they were really helping me see things, um, from a different perspective, from their own perspective. And, I took some of my students from that school to a conference in Atlanta called Passion, and they were talking about human trafficking, man. And they were talking about how we create a demand for human trafficking. And they say, you know, basically the clothes you wear. Who was the person that that cut out the pattern, that sewed it, that picked the cotton? Were they being paid fair wages? You know, every good that we consume has been touched by many people before it gets to us. Exactly. And so they were saying that. And then they were also saying, you know, if you've ever consumed pornography, you've you've consumed someone's suffering. Like, like whether we know it or not, I mean, there was there was one statistic once upon a time that basically said twenty percent of all pornography is filmed with someone under the age of 18. Wow. And so whether, whether they lied, whether whatever, but like they said like 20%. So that, that fits the definition or it's very close to fitting the definition of human trafficking. So, um, so we, we have to think, we have to think, okay, like for me, I'm, I'm sitting there hearing that and I'm, I'm just crushed. You know, I'm just like, I remember praying to God. I was like, God, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't know that, that I was part of the problem. And I think for, for many of us, before we can become part of the solution, we got to realize we're part of the problem. Every one of us is consuming the suffering of others. And so how do we transition to pur- purchasing freedom? 
And I think one quick thing people can do is a there's an online survey called slaveryfootprint.org. And it it exists for one reason, to show you how many slaves are at work today to give you the life you enjoy. And it's sobering and it's frustrating and you kind of feel like, oh, well, this is a little bit of a downer. But I promise you, if you do this and you see kind of what's going on, you you suddenly start to think, man, like, my my decisions matter. It's not yes. just for me. You know, it's like everything I do, there's a butterfly effect in a sense. Like, sure. people are impacted. I'm actually looking at this uh, slaveryfootprint.org right now. It's pretty wild. It's crazy. I mean, you know, we can take that that kind of analogy and turn it into really anything. I mean, I, I say all the time, we have to stand. Like, obviously, I'm a chef. I, I make you know, I make a lot of decisions based on 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 product, where it comes from, the sustainability of it, the cleanliness of it, every part of it. But I, I'm never I'm never going to change McDonald's. You know, I'm ne- I as one individual, I'm never going to change the product that McDonald's sells. They're always going to sell ten chicken nuggets for a dollar. You know, which if if you want to think about that, that's really kind of a disgusting thing. Like, what kind of chicken is actually in there that you're only selling it to me for a dollar? Yeah. You know, and and, and if I want to eat clean and I want to eat healthy, I've got to pay a lot more money for that. Until we as a collective group start saying. I want better product in this case dealing with food, but in your case saying, okay, where did this product come from? Oh, okay. This product came from, I don't know, the gap, you know? And when you take a look at how many people were involved in making that one pair of 49.95 jeans and the fact that they were being paid 10 cents an hour, if anything, in that case, I mean, we have to make a decision to stand up against that. It's funny. I was in India. It's a India. hard thing. I was in India and my friend was like, oh, when you go there, it's great. You can find so many cheap clothes. And I was actually <laughs> there with human trafficking organizations, right? And so I go into this mall and I'm like, oh man, this is great. And then it hit me. There's a reason it's $20 for this brand of jeans, you know? Right. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm not exactly. going to buy jeans today. I mean, there's a lot that that goes into that. I mean, I'm I'm not even kidding. I'm lit. I'm doing this right. I'm doing this right now. Like while I'm on the phone with you, I'm actually hitting these. Um, I'm I'm selecting these different things to see what my footprint is, you know, within the trafficking world of of what what's out there. I mean, so okay, so you're in West Virginia, and you're and you're moving into you've now been introduced to a whole different community. Where are you from originally? So I'm originally from Florida, which is basically where New York goes to die. And so I just kind of went the other direction. I started in Florida and moved up. Okay. (laughs) So you started down in what part of Florida? Cocoa beach. Okay. So, all right. So there's some money down there as well. There's a, it's, it's a different world. And then you became a pastor at what age? Oh man, I think I was 21. And was this a and this was a true calling for you? Yeah. Yeah, it's it was I I didn't want to do anything else more than wanting to be a pastor. 
And I did that and I was in pastoral ministry in some form or facet till, till a few years ago where I kind of went all in with let my people go. And I'm still doing the work of the ministry, working with churches, but I'm not necessarily um, serving a parish or serving a local congregation. Okay. I gotcha. All right. So then, so then you moved from Florida, you went from Florida into West Virginia. So I went from, (laughs) I went from Florida to Georgia and I interned there. Then I went from Georgia to Louisville, Kentucky, where I was at seminary for several years. And then I moved from Louisville to West Virginia. Um, and then from West Virginia to New York. So I just kind of snaked up, up, up the country. (laughs) Okay. All right. And I got you. So you kind of made your way up. And then what, how did, how did, and you, so you move into West Virginia. Right. And, and now you're, you're working in a community. I mean, as an, as, I mean, you're a six foot three, very, you know, a tall, handsome white guy who's now walking into, uh, you know, I mean, an African-American community in reality. How, How does that, I mean, I don't know if I don't, I don't know if I could be the person to lead or preach in that manner. And, and we're all children of God, and I and I get that. But there, there's there's a, a correlation between that. You know, what are you doing to connect directly? Is God the connection between you guys? Well, uh, yeah, but because a young African American child is going to is going to go towards an African American male or an African American female. I, I don't feel that. And maybe that's a racist statement. I hope it's not. But I think that there's going to be a comfort if there's three people standing in front of you, an African-American woman, an African-American man and a white man, a five-year-old kid is probably going to gravitate towards the female. You know, How are you making an impact in that community that led you to all of this is I guess is what I'm getting to. So what I learned was – Sometimes the best way to lead is to listen and to um, deal with hard truths that you may not have known about. Right. And I think for me, going into this, there were a lot of students who had been negatively impacted um, by people who were Caucasian. Um, there were students who did not trust me um, from the get-go. Sure. I mean, you know, like I, uh, yeah, I could, I could tell you stories, but at the end of the day, I came to a point where I'm like, I can't lead before before I listen, and I basically just sat down with students and would hear their story and try to learn. And then that was when the leaders were coming alongside of me and they're like, well, you proclaim the gospel and that's all well and good, but do you know how to demonstrate it? You know? And they were like, they were pushing. And, and I think for me, like we had, I mean, there were students that wouldn't come to our ministry because they're like, you know, this is, this is just like a white folk religion. This is, white American Christianity. And that for me, I, I would see this and I would hear this and I would be like, okay, like I've got to stick to the core of what the Bible actually says and invite other people into this with me and kind of learn with, learn with my students in a sense. And 
yeah, what I found was there were things that my students were dealing with that I, I don't deal with. There are systemic issues that the students at the school had been facing their whole lives that I didn't notice because I benefited from them. Sure. You know, and, and at the end, at the end of the day, I'll never forget what one student said to me. And, and I've told other people this and they seem to think that when I say it to people, they'll be like, wow, that's negative. But, but it really wasn't. The student looks at me and he, this, this student was from the, the, the Anacostia area of DC, you know, and this, he was right. getting an education. He's, he's just making it happen, this kid. And he looks at me and he goes, for a white guy, you make people think. And for me, that was high praise because this student, this student had been told what to do by different people, but he had never been like, he was just not very trusting of, of everyone. And so for him to say that to me, that was, that was really good. And so I just, I just came to a point where. I look at I look at these things and I'm like, I want to continue to learn. I don't have I do not know everything. And the only way that I'm gonna be able to really do what I do well is to have people speaking into my life and, and showing me my blind spots so that I don't inadvertently hurt people with the right. things that I say. Hey everybody, guess what? I'm gonna talk to you guys about something pretty cool from a company called Cisco, which is Cake. It's a point of sale system. And one of the things that Cake is doing is the 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 my my take off of Cake is that you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. What do I mean by that? I mean that look, it's simple. We all want to have our cake and we want to eat it too. Okay. But here in this world, it's a little bit different. Cake is a POS system. All right. That lets bar and restaurant owners focus on the guest experience. It's no longer about tracking and trying to find all the different reports and everything else that goes along with the traditional POS system. Cake allows you to stop worrying about tracking every single sale. Cake does it all for you. You can automatically save information and you guys can review it for later from anywhere. Your phone, your laptop, your iPod, your iPad, whatever it is you want to do, you can check. Maybe not an iPod. I don't think anybody carries an iPod anymore, but you get what I'm saying. Okay. That means you can actually take days off, which can be pretty rare in the restaurant business. With Cake, you guys are able to, uh, I mean, imagine finally taking a vacation that you've been dreaming of, knowing that all of your reporting is going to be done by the time you get back, or if you really have to and you're like me, you're going to check your numbers while you're on the road. No matter where you are, you can check in on daily reports and know that they're going to be up to date. To get started with cake, it's really simple. You're going to check out trycake.com forward slash Duffy. And for anybody who listens to Duffified Live, you guys are going to be able to get $750 off the activation fee. That's a 75% discount. And with that discount, you get a user-friendly point-of-sale solution that includes cloud reporting and a world-class 24-7. 24-7 support that's included in that, guys. That's almost unheard of in this business. Okay, So restaurant owners, very simple. Go to trycake.com forward slash dust. Look at that. Go to, here we go. I'm going to read it again. Go to trycake.com forward slash Duffy and get your own slice of the cake. How long were you in West Virginia? So I was there for two years and 10 months. Okay. 
And then, and, and then where was this deciding factor? So you, did you start to see some of this happening in front of you? I mean, were you hearing about this? Cause I, I find it, I, I find it very odd, not well in a way that, that it, it's, it's, it's amongst a church community. I mean, is that, is that like a sanctuary type thing? Like I need to get away from somebody and I'm going to go to a church because they're going to take care of me. I mean, is well, that, know, go ahead. Kind of like, um, there are two places that someone who's being trafficked can get away from their exploiter. And one is the emergency room. Okay. For the most part. And another is a community of faith. I mean, and, is there, if I'm, if I'm going into an emergency room, am I walking in and saying, you know, I mean, this is, I guess, a learning point for anybody who's listening right now. You know, if somebody out there is involved in this situation and you have an opportunity to go to an emergency room or a place of faith, I mean, what is, am I, what do I do? Well, most of those who are victimized in this way, they don't self-identify. Okay. Because they often don't know that they've been trafficked. That's where the movie Taken and that plot line it kind of cripples us because we see this girl who is exploited and trafficked and she oh, knows yeah. it. she was yeah. kidnapped, you know, well, that's easy for us. But what happens is when someone's like, Oh, well, that's my boyfriend. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Our relationship is not easy. It's very complex, but he's my boyfriend. Um, he, he loves me deep down or, or it's someone who, who got a job and they're like, well, this is my nine to five, but you know, they, they kept my passport. I live where I work, but you know, it's, it's a job, you know, I get paid every now and then like manipulators are incredibly good at what they do. Right. And sure. so, so it's yeah, con man. The they're the full day. blown con man. Yeah. You're conning somebody into doing something that you want to do for gain. Absolutely. I mean, how much, you know, is there a percentage that is, is there a division line of, you know, labor trafficking, sex trafficking, you know, I mean, cause when, look, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to keep referencing a Liam Neeson movie, which is a fictitious character of an Irish dude who goes around the world and kicks ass, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's just not out there. Look, if somebody stole my daughter, honestly, I don't know what I would do. You know, I'm not going to find the guy's phone number all of a sudden and go chasing after him. I'll do everything in my power to figure it out. But in reality, the first thing I'm doing is going to the police. But but in in a, in a normal everyday sense, I mean, what what we understand of trafficking is really what we've learned from movies. It's the idea of Liam Neeson pulling into a mining site in the middle of a quarry, you know, with a with a with a tractor trailer you know, of, of modular units of a whole bunch of beds with, with sheets around them. I mean, how much, what's, is there, is there a, is there a 25% that's sex trafficking compared to, you know, the additional 75 that is work? I, I mean, is, does that question make sense? Yeah. So one statistic a few years ago from, um, the UN, it was basically that 68% of all trafficking is for forced labor. Okay. And 22% is for sex trafficking. Okay. But the majority of the money, the 150 billion wow. 
um, dollar industry there, I believe two thirds of that money comes from sex trafficking. So it's more lucrative. Sure. But at the end of the day, like people are trafficked around the world to give us everything. I mean, down to some of the minerals that are in, in our, in our smartphones. Right. So Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, there's wow. more labor trafficking going on, and I feel like as a society, we are laser focused on sex trafficking, and it is horrible, and we need to be focused on it. But we don't want to look for it to the point that we don't see right the person in the restaurant or the person with the sign or the person panhandling or the person selling trinkets on the subway. Yeah, you're you're walking past. You're not walking past the dishwasher in the kitchen. You know, you're stopping at that guy who's making, you know, five bucks an hour if you're lucky, and you're not going into the back room. Well, I mean, here's the deal, chef. It's like I I worked in a restaurant for I don't know five or six years, and yeah, I just remember, and I felt like I had to call you, chef. The moment I started talking about, because when I was in like the it. restaurant, I'm I was not allowed it. to call them by their name. I had to call them <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> and so that's right. That just happened naturally. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like when, when I would, I remember, and I worked for very reputable restaurants, but, um, there were some things that were not above board when I go and think about it. Sure. Especially with some of my friends who were working in the back of the house. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a weird, and actually it's kind of funny you said that because that's, that's honestly going to lead me into another part of a question, but it's, I mean, I know I can remember hiring, you know, an elder, you know, who was Mario. Mario was a guy who worked for me for probably about four years. And, and, and now that I think about it, when you and I started talking a couple months ago when we were up there and, and as you know, it, it raised my awareness to different things, you know, raised my awareness to what trafficking was. I've done some research leading up to this to you and I talking, you know, I never really thought about it before. The only thought that I ever had about trafficking in reality was watching a movie. That was the only thing I never thought, oh, it's happening in my backyard. But as I started to do a little bit more research, I started to find out, and I did. I found out that more of that trafficking, the money comes from the sex end of it, but but the percentage, the larger percentage is within the workforce. So I thought back to Mario. Mario was an older Mexican gentleman who used to come into the restaurants. You know, he would come in and he would work for a week, and then he'd say, okay, I have two people that can come in and work for you. You know, and in would walk Maria and, you know, Lula – who were two wonderful prep cooks that I had who worked for me for two years. Now, here's my question. What was, you know, were they giving money to somebody? Was somebody taking their money? I mean, now I look back on all of these employees that I had for all these years. And I think to myself, holy shit, like Maria, Maria used to bring me lunch. She would make me lunch. She'd make me flautas. She'd make me tortas. She'd make me anything. She was always so happy to make me something because I I treated her very well. She was a wonderful, wonderful person. She had a very small daughter, super cool chick. But I always thought, especially over the last couple of months, it's so weird. I thought to myself, I wonder if she was involved in a situation that I just wasn't aware of. You know, because Mario would come in and he would do it in all the restaurants in the area. You know, we used to call him the Mexican connection. 
he was our guy when you needed line cooks or when you needed servers or when you needed bus girls or you needed a back bar back or you needed a dishwasher or a prep, you know, you called Mario and Mario would, Mario would come in and he would work in the restaurant for a week or so, make sure that it was a legit quote unquote operation. And then he would give you people to come in and work. So I, I yeah. wonder, like, I think now, was he involved in something like that? I think about that all the time because when I think about like the assumption that, well, you know, almost every, every restaurant I worked in, you know, in the back of the house, you'd have about 10 people from Guatemala and a few people from Mexico and a few people from, you know, some other Central American countries. Right. But a lot of them like, had prior connections, like they knew each other. And I've always thought, totally, you know, maybe they have a, sometimes they have a manager that places them and that manager can very well be a trafficker. I think That's you are on something. I'm That's what I'm thinking. I mean, it's like, you know, first off, how many, you know, look, it's not easy to get a social security number. Right. You know, and now, now things have changed a lot in the last eight to 10 years. You know I mean? It's a lot easier for us to run a number and find out if it's fake or find out if it's, it's got a flag on it or something to that effect. But a lot of times you're just hiring somebody on the fly in these situations. You know, Hey, I need somebody to wash dishes. Oh, I have a guy. I've got a friend, you know, man, now I feel like I've been contributing more than just what this website's telling me. And I haven't even well, dug into the website any further. I have a friend who um, runs a clothing company and it's here in the States. It's in the Northeast and very nice clothes. And, and I was talking to him about this and he was like, could, could you, could you come, <laughs> could you come to our factory and just talk to people? Because he's like, I wow. feel that some people that's bold could be exploited here. He's like, you got to understand Raleigh. He's like, I'm doing everything I can. I'm paying every one of these people fair wages. Right. And, and he, he actually told me like, he was like, I don't, all I know from their documentation is that it's accurate, but I know that some of this documentation is forged. It's just gotta be like, I mean, but he's like, I'm looking at it and it's, it's good. But he's like, I know that there's some forgeries that are slipping by me and I'm trying to pay people, but I don't know who's exploited and who's not. And I'm just trying to care for my people. This is a good Christian man. He's and like, and he was legit. And I think for every one of them, there's countless people who aren't thinking like that. Right. Uh, you know, 100%. I mean, especially in the hospitality industry where we're just trying to fill slots. Right. You know, especially in this day and age. I mean, you look at the growth. I talk about the growth of restaurants over the last 25 years, you know, in a pretty major play. 30 years ago, 25 years ago, there's 900 to 1,000 restaurants in Philadelphia. Now we have over 9,500. You know, I mean, yeah. and, and one of my original questions that I was going to ask you, which now has changed because I feel as though I have an answer, you know, what is what is the percentage of a lot of these traffickers that are en- traffickees that are ending up in the United States? I mean, is there a statistic for that? Yeah, so, I mean... There's a statistic that it's still it's still used today, but it's it's a little bit of an older statistic. 
And it's from the State Department and basically says there are between 14,500 and 17,500 foreign nationals who are trafficked over U.S. borders each year. Wow. And a lot of these foreign nationals are trafficked through um, legitimate points of entry. Okay. And, and so it's very easy when, especially with some of the um, rhetoric that we're hearing now, like it's very easy to think, oh, so they're, they're all just s- kind of snuck over the border in Mexico and they're brought here. I mean, I'm sure that happens to, to some degree, but what we've found for the most part is people are trafficked through legitimate ports of entry okay. oftentimes. So they're being, so they're, they're, they're basically being brought in in a legal manner with illegal forms of paperwork. I mean, it's a fake passport or something to that effect. Right. And here's the thing. Oftentimes traffickers don't have to go to other countries to get people here because there are people who are undocumented and they're already here and they don't have many options. Right. And traffickers can sniff that out. It's not, it's not hard for them to find people that they can exploit. And so, you know, you give them some options and you say, hey, I'll get you papers. I'll get you housing. I'll get you a job. Sure. But, yep. You know, you have to pay me. One of my friends was a nanny and she lived with a family. She had her meals at the house. But every Sunday, that was her day off. She had to go to her manager, who's basically her trafficker, right. and give the majority of the money she made. And so the wow. family doesn't know that she's trafficked. She's giving this money to this guy, and he says, here's the deal. You're here illegally. I am an actual citizen of the United States, so all I have to do is make a call, and you go back home. And that's it. So it's a constant fear. Mm-hmm. So what is it? I mean, you know, here's a natural progression question. What do we do? I mean, are we, is it that we're asking more questions? Is there, you know, is there a, I mean, look, we're all super educated within so many different areas, but, but is there, is there a way for us to, to find out that determination? Like, I I mean, you know, I know, I know women that are in some pretty shitty relationships treated like crap by their boyfriends. And as a father of two daughters, you know, I've spent my, the last 18 and 15 years you know, trying to prepare my daughters for, you know, proper relationships. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, in, in my world where my girls live, they always have to, my oldest daughter's got to have $50 in her pocket at any given moment so that she's never in a bind, you know, so that she's never without, if her phone, cell phone dies, she never has to ask somebody for help is basically what it comes down to. You know, I want my girls because I just don't trust the average human male that's out there with my daughters in that way. You know, people will see an 18 year old girl who's four foot 11 and go, oh, I can pick her up easily and take her. And you know what I'm saying? Like, how do we what can we do to find out if somebody's in that situation? Yeah, I think that's a great question, because really, for us, it's you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said ask more questions. Yeah. Um and here's another and here's another. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, no problem. where is that? Where is that line? Where is that line? Because, yeah. you know, I mean, in this day and age, when in reality, I can't ask all these questions. Where am I asking these questions without breaking the law? 
even though the person who's in that situation is in a pretty shitty situation, you know, I mean, man, it's almost like you're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Well, at the end of the day, there is an element of embracing the awkward. If you're getting involved in people's lives, it's going to get weird. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. If you're talking to people who've experienced trauma, there's going to be a lack of trust. There's going to be fear. Sure. Um, there's just, they have had people. I have one friend who was trafficked from another country. She was trafficked in an illicit massage parlor. And a lady came in and said, if you ever want to get out, call this number. Well, she gets out, she calls the number. Well, it was a number to another trafficker. Oh my so God. He, yeah. And so they often don't trust people because the people that say they're going to help really exploit <laughs> them. And so I think one thing, um, the New York district attorney, um, in, in the two thousands, they, they're hearing about human trafficking and they're looking at all of their domestic violence cases. And they say, okay, we're going to look for signs of force, fraud, and coercion. So right. like you said, you've known people who are in horrible relationships. Well, they kind of look at these relationships and they say, wow, well, this man turned his wife out, you know, yeah. forced her to yeah. have sex with others. Sure. That's, that's, tr that that's trafficking. We see force or there was coercion. And then they, they realize just by looking at DV cases, they find hundreds of human trafficking cases. And I think for us, it's, it's having that framework through which to look. It's looking for vulnerability and then looking for signs of force, fraud, and coercion. And so the red flags kind of arise from that, right? Like if you see someone and they live and eat in the place where they work or um, one young lady was from Georgia. She was an intern of mine for a little bit. And she said, Raleigh, it's just, this has got me thinking because my mom and I used to go get our nails done at this place. And we showed yeah. up early one morning and all of these women came in a big white van together. And then they came into the nail salon. And when you're talking to them, it's like they're on a script. And I'm like, yeah, my, very name is, my name is Stacy. My name is, you know, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now that I think about it, you're absolutely right. And so it's looking for these signs of force, fraud, and coercion and being like, okay, wow, if this person is living and eating and sleeping in a place where they work or they're in an off-site location, but they're all living together, then maybe they don't have freedom of movement. Right. One of, another one of my interns, she got to know a young lady because this intern could speak Mandarin. She met a young woman who spoke Mandarin who worked in a nail salon and she said, I would love to talk Mandarin with you. Could you meet me? Well, she came, but then my, my intern was like, I'm nervous because she came with a chaperone and he didn't say a word and he oh, kind of looked wow. intimidating. And, and as soon as I would, if I would ask like, is this your boyfriend or whatever? She'd be like, no, let's not talk about it. Let's not talk about it. And it was like the woman kind of felt, fearful. Sure. And, and so like, yeah, if there's a limitation to someone's freedom of movement, if, um, if they have, you know, multiple hotel keys or if there are tattoos of someone else's name or like scarring or signs of psychological manipulation, if they're fearful or if they've been plied with drugs and they're like 
you know, on many substances. Like these are all signs that something can be happening because traffickers to get people to do the things they do, they will give people drugs. You know, it's like, but when we see someone who's, who's high, we're like, Oh, well that person's a miscreant. Look at that person. They're on, look at that person on meth. Like they, They've chosen that. That's a poor exactly. Thing. But maybe they didn't. We're you know? so quick to make that judgment of it's their fault. not even right. realizing that it right. could be an outside coercion. It could be somebody who's holding them hostage at that point. You're absolutely right. I, you're absolutely right. Jesus, I'm a, I'm a horrible person. I've been judging people for all these years. Well, same, God. you know, and it yeah. it's like. Because we like to feel good about ourselves. Well, I'm not like that, you know. Right. But that's that's part of how when we work with a church, we're or when I work with anybody, I'm telling them, yeah, you should look for vulnerable people, but you should also recognize that you're vulnerable too. Maybe not in the same ways, but we're all one medical emergency away from being on the streets. And so if we would look at it from that perspective, we'll find ourselves not really looking down on people as much because we're on the same level. We can actually look them in the eye. I have made, you know, it's funny as I've gotten older and as my girls have really grown up and I've watched, I mean, look, I live in a wealthier area of Philadelphia. You know, it's all about the label. It's all about the, you know, the newest iPhone. It's all about, you know, all the exterior things. And they are, they're just things that we all look at. You know, and I, I, you know, I look at my daughter the other day and, you know, Uggs and Lululemon and the whole nine yards. And, and there was a conversation that, that, that always happens. Oh, you know, did you see her shoes or did you? And I've, I've really made conscious efforts with my girls, especially to get rid of that judgment world. We don't know what that person's going through. We don't know any part of that person's life other than that exterior that we see in front of us. You know, right. and as I talk to you, that, that, that reinforces one, a whole nother conversation that I'm having with my teenage daughters this week, you know, about, about if you see somebody who might be in that world, who might be, you know, a little confused or, or who's a little timid about something that there's a lot more going on than what we just know, well, you know, and, who knows? And also Jeez. if like, I mean, that's a great point. You know, if your girls are, in high school or even when they were in middle school, it's easy. Cause I, I remember when I was in high school, you would see girls and guys and you'd be like, Oh, well that person is this because yes. they sleep around or like, and I'm, I'm starting to look through the lens of force, fraud and coercion at some of the stories that I heard when I was in high school. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yes. That girl was raped. Uh-huh. That's what that was. That was rape. And everyone laughed it off or that was this or that was that. Like it, it's like, oftentimes you'll find traffickers growing up in the same communities as those that they traffic and they know each other in some form or facet, whether it's a familial connection or a romantic connection. And that stuff can even be grooming can be happening in, in high schools and colleges as well. I mean, it can happen anywhere, but. Jeez, this is a lot heavier than I thought it was going to be, Raleigh. This is big, dude. I mean, seriously, this is very, it's very informative because when the, you know, the things that you're talking about are things that I see on a daily basis. You know, look, I'm a 47 year old man. 
I am, you know, I just opened another restaurant two weeks ago. And as I sat at this table, there were two beautiful young women living in this tiny California town. And the one girl was talking about, you know, my boyfriend's an asshole. You know, he really just treats me like shit. And I looked over and there's a book by a gentleman. I'm not going to get involved in it, but the name of the book is F yes, F no. Okay. And what it comes down to is you either feel it or you don't feel it. And, and I share this, this, it's not even a book. It's like, it's a short read, you know, and I share this all the time with people. Cause I'm like, you're in a relationship that you're telling me that your boyfriend's an asshole. He treats you like crap. Why are you in that relationship? It's the same way that I've raised my girls where I say, if a boy makes you cry, other than the fact that he gave you flowers, that's not the last time. Mm. It's the beginning of mm. every time, you know, so, so wow. really think about that. You know, if he's going to stand you up going to junior prom because he wants to go out with his boys, that's not the last time, you wow. know, and, and my yeah. daughters have, my oldest daughter has been sitting at, you know, she was on a date a couple months ago and she just wasn't into the guy. He just wasn't, he was lying. She could tell she's a very, uh, she's a very, uh, cautious person with stuff like that because I've raised them to to accept love but question when somebody kind of talks you or tries to talk you into doing something you know or, or has to dance around to make an answer up to make you feel more comfortable about something and you know my daughter was out to, do, out to on a date with this guy and she just felt that he was just kind of bullshitting her and she was like hey thanks for everything I'm gonna go you know, she's 18 years old. This kid doesn't even have a driver's license. She called an Uber when she went to the bathroom and then left. Like I, in those cases that these are things that I've trained my girls. And I find that when I talk to other people, I'm always hearing these situations. Last year, St. Patrick's Day, I'll never forget it. I'm sitting in a bar and there's a woman sitting next to me and she's and she's crying. She has tears in her eyes. 22, 23, maybe 25 years old. And I just looked over. I said, are you all right? And she's like, I'm just, you know, relationship problems. I said, does he treat you like shit? And she's like, you know what? He really does. I said, then why are you talking to him? Why are you, ha you know, I mean, I find that I insert yeah. myself into those situations because I have daughters. Yeah. And now, yeah. honestly, after this conversation, I'm going to be paying a lot more attention, dude. A lot more attention. I travel all over the world, man. You yeah. know? I see young girls walking through airports with older gentlemen that could be their girlfriend, but they're holding their hand. You know, these are weird scenarios. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get myself in trouble, aren't I, Raleigh? <laughs> I'm so going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> you know, but that's, I mean, that's where this starts though, because it, once you, once you see it, you can't not see it. Exactly. Like you see it everywhere. It, now I'm like, looking back at all of these different scenarios yeah. over my 25 years that I've been standing in kitchens, over my last 10 years of traveling and meeting people all over the world. And it's and I, 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 can, I have pictures. I'm literally having a rec like, like images of people and scenarios that are popping into my head, which is weird. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a, I mean, same here. And it's like, and I deal with some of that in my book, like, you know, how I, how I've missed it before and how, because I've missed it, I don't want to miss it again. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like now I'm going to be kind of, you know, 
super and uber curious. Right. Now, when I see these situations, and I don't know, I, I hope I'm, I hope I don't come off. Hey, anybody out there, if you're in a bad situation, I start questioning you. You know why now? But but wow. ultimately, you're questioning that person because you want that person to be in a safe space. Absolutely. And and they may not even know that like that's even a possibility for them. They may be, they may not trust you. But this is this is where like we have to understand that trauma really impacts people and we have to think about like, you know, how we engage people and kind of engage by listening first and just, you know, asking small, but, you know, pointed questions where over time we can get more of a big picture, but it's not going to come in just like one conversation. It's going to come as you develop a relationship and that person trusts you. And then they say, yeah, so sometimes my boyfriend forces me to do this. And wow. then you're able to say, Let, let's talk about that. Yeah. Wow, dude. All right. So what, you know, I mean, as I, as I look at the website and I do, you know, more kind of research and looking into this and stuff like that, what, what can, what can we do? So anybody who's out there right now, what can we do uh, beyond questions, beyond, you know, what can we do to educate ourselves about this? What can we do to, you know, and, and in a day-to-day thing, God, we have so much stuff that we do on a daily basis. It's like now that this has been put into your brain, this is like the forefront. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, I think starting out, you you start with learning. And so you can – you know, go to theplayersproject.org and learn. Go to lmpgnetwork.org and learn about the issue. I mean, it's, I mean this number, like 45.8 million people are exploited globally through modern day slavery. You know, and then human trafficking is a 150, is that billion or trillion? Billion, billion, billion dollar. Sorry, I couldn't count that many zeros that fast. <laughs> Human trafficking is a $150 billion business. There's been cases have been reported in all 50 states. Yeah. Many in the anti-trafficking movement confirmed that the local church is one of the few places where trafficking victims can be away from their exploiters. Marginalized populations. These are the greatest at risk. Marginalized populations, homeless populations, at-risk youth, um, the cyclically impoverished, immigrants, domestic abuse victims. Jeez. It's like it's every it's around the corner. It's the church around the corner. It's the community that I live in. It's wild. Yeah, and it's and it's going to happen anywhere. And so I think starting with, you know, going to the right websites, um, reading reading books on the subject. I mean, that's that's why I wrote one. You know, it's like I want to give people the opportunity to to learn about the issue. But then more than that, setting up a Google alert. If you don't know. If people don't know what that is, if the listener, if you, the listener, don't understand what a Google alert is, you just need to Google it. It's basically you're setting up a search query that says, say, human trafficking and your community. And every day, if you want them every day, you're going to get emails with the top articles about human trafficking in your community. And when you read them, you're going to become very proficient in understanding the issue as it impacts those around you. Right. And, and this is a great way. Another thing you can do is plug in the human trafficking hotline number into your phone. And the number is one eight 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 
877-337-3788. Or you could text be free, B-E-F-R-E-E. And you can call if you if you see signs of forced fraud and coercion or if or if you're just worried or you're you're noticing that there's a house in your neighborhood and cars are coming in and out all the time and and you've seen people that are brought in there and they're not allowed to talk to the neighbors that could be a thing a lot of my friends who were trafficked they were trafficked in residential neighborhoods they weren't i mean some were trafficked in like dirty hotels and you know abandoned buildings but a lot of them are also trafficked where everything's supposed to be okay, you know? Right. And so, so yeah, we, I think if, if we start there by, by learning and learning the human trafficking hotline number and what was that? Jimmy, Fair, give me, give me, give me that number one more time. Yeah. It's one eight, 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 three, seven, three, seven, eight, eight, eight. And I, I think if we start there kind of learning and learning how to report because here's the deal awareness is not knowing something it ex- knowing something exists awareness is knowing how to identify and respond to something right and so one of the best things you can do is call the hotline number but another thing you can do if like say you see something and you don't you don't know how to respond but in my book I tell a story about how I see a young woman I don't know if she was trafficked or not but she was high a young, well-dressed man in his 20s grabs her, pulls her as hard as he can. She lurches forward. He throws her into the train car. The door is shut, and I did nothing. Now, this whole this whole episode happened in three seconds, but I felt ashamed. You know, here I am. I'm a leader, and this was years ago, but I was, I was leading even at, at that point in this space. And I call a friend in federal law enforcement, and I said, you need to teach me how to fight. Like, you need to teach me how to fight now. <laughs> now. And he was like, well, you know, I got a guy and we can do that. But was that the best thing you could have done in a moment? And I said, no, but I felt helpless. And I feel like so many of us feel helpless. And so he said, you know what you do? If you see something, because this is a question I get all the time. What happens if I actually see something? What do I do? You call 311 or 911 and you ask law enforcement for a welfare check. You don't really any. Yeah. You don't say anything about human trafficking. You don't say because you don't know. But if there's that moment where you have, as one of my friends used to call the uh oh feeling of this isn't all right. And I don't know why it's not all right, but it's not all right. You can call and say, hey, um, I saw this on the train. I, I kind of followed at a safe distance. These people went into a restaurant. They're in this restaurant. Could you check? I don't think this woman is safe or I don't think this man is safe or this child is safe. And they'll go and they'll look and they'll investigate it. Right. And and that is that is a great step. Sure. That is, that is a great step you can do. And, and you know, I mean, and I'm sure that there's, you know, I, I mean, who knows what the percentage of, you know, hey, I'm just taking my granddaughter out for lunch compared right. to please, you know, help me right now. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Dude, you used to open up a whole bunch of eyes, man. How about that? <laughs> you know, I knew going in that, I mean, I did, I did my research and I, and I thought, you know, I, I try, I did some research on you and some of the other stuff, but I, I just really didn't have any idea. And it's so weird because I, I, as I travel all through the country and like I said, I'm literally having like flashbacks of scenarios with yeah. different faces in them. And I'm thinking, 
you know, and it is, it's all about getting more involved. We've been told for so long to mind our own business, but we've been told so long to mind our own business that we're numb to seeing things happen. You know, I I think it's like the car alarm. It's the car alarm Mm -hmm. of the 80s. You know, you hear the car alarm and what do we do? We open the window, we look around for a second and we go, God, I wish they would just turn that off. As opposed to, I wonder if something is actually wrong. You know, it's like if if somebody screams help in the middle of the street, most people are probably going to look out the window and close their window because you're annoying them. I mean, I heard a car alarm last night and I was tired and I'm trying to get into my house and I didn't even bat an eye. No, I was like, oh, someone probably bumped up against a car. It's fine. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but you're right. We've got to stop and be like, are you okay? Like, yeah. You know, we, we've got, I, I feel like if we, if we view people as people to be loved and not problems to be solved, we'll get much farther in this whole fight. Yeah, I agree. Wow. All right, Raleigh. Um, what, what's the name of your book? It's called vulnerable rethinking human trafficking. Okay. Vulnerable re and that's on Amazon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okay. And then, uh, how can people get, you know, what, what are, what are some really quick resources that, that people can do, you know, or where can we go? I mean, for people who see these situations, I'm a big fan of text be free. I think that's pretty awesome. You know, I like the idea of, and this is one Well, you give me this stuff. You tell me you're the expert. <laughs> yeah. So I would just reiterate kind of what I said before. It's setting up a Google alert. That's going to tell you if you put human trafficking and Philadelphia, you're going to get the most up-to-date information on what's happening. Um, another thing you can do, like I said, put the phone number, the human trafficking hotline number into your phone. Put be free into your phone. Um, go to websites like Polaris. Read good books. But also talk to people who are already working with vulnerable populations in your community, like schedule an appointment with anti-trafficking nonprofits that are there and say, Hey, I want to learn more. Go to trainings when they're offered. I mean, you can, you can go on Facebook and see what's around you. And there are always different trainings. Go sit in on a training, learn. Um, yeah. When talk to law enforcement, talk to social services, talk to local nonprofits and ask them what they're seeing yeah, and, and how you can better respond because it's going to take a different flavor in every community. Right. And so I think if you're talking to people and you're learning and, and listen to survivors, like there are many books written by survivors of human trafficking, learn from their story, see how force, fraud and coercion intersect with their vulnerability like when you're reading actual stories and you're you're listening to the survivor, you're going to get a perspective that many of us don't have, right? If we haven't experienced it. Wow. All right, Raleigh. This is a big one, dude. Yeah. This was a lot of information, man. I really, you know, I mean, and I'm really glad we had the opportunity to talk, and um, I'm glad we met, man. I'm really glad. It was, uh, that was a kind of an impromptu thing that I just happened to be up in, in, I was in Brooklyn that night and, you know, uh, those guys let me know there was going to be a little soiree happening over in, uh, over in the financial district. And, 
I hopped an Uber and there I was. So I think, you know, we, I, I'm not going to use that old saying that things happen for a reason, but I believe that you and I were connected for a reason. Yeah, and I appreciate you was. for, for educating me and educating all these people out here at the same time. Oh man. Thank so, you for the opportunity. No, man, it's my pleasure. And this isn't our normal. Everybody, you know, most people that know this isn't our normal, you know, our normal podcast, although I, I interview everybody, you know, I, I have some pretty, it's a pretty diverse crowd of people that we talk to. Um, but, uh, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty stoked in this. So everybody, uh, um, you know, check out Raleigh and, and all that he does. Um, check out the website that these guys are involved in, which is the lmpgnetwork.org. There's a lot of information in here as well as the Polaris Project that is on here, which is really simple, polarisproject.org. Utilize these uh some of these things. If you see something weird, call nine one one and get a welfare check. A welfare check is is saying, "Hey, something looks a little bit weird, and I think you should check this out." Um, text be free or uh, utilize the number. And Raleigh, tell me if I'm saying this right. One eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight. That's correct. Cool. All right, Raleigh. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, man. I really appreciate your time and and the uh, the Likewise. tremendous amount of information you just laid down upon us. So um, I look forward to seeing you again. Uh, hopefully someday. Hopefully it's not going to be another uh, birthday a year later. But uh, you know, I'd love to chat with you again, man. Yeah, man. Let's make it happen. Uh, wow, that was huge. I had you know I knew the conversation was going to be a little heavy. I knew that uh, a conversation with Raleigh was going to be informative, but I just didn't you know I just didn't know. And and it's kind of funny because if you could tell in the initial you know thirty seconds to four minutes of the conversation, he laid down a lot of information, and I, I didn't know how to process it at that moment because as soon as he started to talk about that, it it changed. Like I'm not even kidding you so much changed for me at that moment because I was now hearing, I was having flashbacks of some weird situations in, you know, towns like Cincinnati and walking through airports and, you know, sitting in LA or sitting in, you know, San Jacinto, California. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be said about that. You know, uh, I I have daughters, so I, I insert my two cents into a lot of younger women's lives um, because I feel that I've raised pretty smart, pretty strong, independent women. Big joke in my family is my girls are strong, independent black women. And that's one of the things that they say, you know, because it's something that we've always heard. And, and in the community that I live in, there's a lot of strong, independent black women around. And I mean, I live in Philadelphia and you see it all over the place. And and, you know, it's, it's kind of a joke in our house, because obviously my two girls are the farthest thing from black as possible. They're, they're, they're not African-American. They are little white girls with red hair and brunette. Um but the fact that they choose that as something is is so big that they're that, that they they identify themselves as strong women is something that I'm very very proud of and I don't care what color they are but um it's something that I'm proud of because I've really tried to raise my girls that way don't chase boys you know date be courted allow love to happen accept love um and if a boy ever makes you cry other than for doing something super nice for you then it's not the last time you know, you're going to make that decision. You're going to make that call right then. Um, and it's a moment for you in the in the young lives that my girls live in where they have to make a decision. You know, they're they're 15 and 18, man. My girls don't they're, they're, they make quick decisions about people. So 
you know, ask questions, this whole world of, you know, mind your own business. We need to take care of each other. We all need to take, we're all the same race. We are the human race guys. We're the human race. It's, I don't, who cares? You know, don't, don't, you know, mind your business is such a horrible thing to say because we need to take care of each other. Um, you know, look, I have a dog, I, I have a rescue. She's a pretty cool dog. And I know a lot of people are into rescues, but I, and I had a conversation with my mother the other night that it's like, we treat animals better than we do people. And I think that if we started to mind the business of what's going on around us, instead of just minding our own business in so many cases, Hey, and by the way, I'm not talking about politics, politics. We're fucked. Everybody. It's just that simple. We're screwed. We are second class citizens when it comes to the politicians. But when you're sitting in your community and you see something that's weird, raise awareness to it. Have a conversation about that. Bring bring it to light. Call the police. You know, there was a really weird situation that happened a couple months ago. A friend of mine's daughter was kind of was sexually harassed at work. She had just turned 18. This old douchebag who owned a shop where she was working, he, you know, advanced. I mean, this guy's a 55, 60 year old dude who runs a, a little shop and he was sexually advancing on my friend's daughter. And she was afraid. She didn't know what to do. Her parents didn't know what to do. And I had a conversation with the police and, and the guy said, you know, is this something you really want to get involved in? And I was like, you know what? Well, yeah, it, it kind of is. You know, this is a place where, where I know people that work there as well. And there's a lot of young girls that work there. And so mind, don't mind your own business. In, in certain situations, you know it in your gut that something's not right. You know, you know it in your gut that stuff's not right. And, and we, we, you gotta, gotta ask questions, man, ask questions. So, so I'm going to do that again, just for everybody. And this is a little PSA, I guess I'm going to run with, but, um, if you feel that something's weird, bring awareness to it, dial that nine one one number right off the bat and, and tell the police that you think that something's wrong. Something weird is going on. Um, you can do it anonymously. Uh, if you don't want to really get involved, you know, the other night I was, I was walking the dog. Any of you guys who follow me on Instagram, by the way, check it out. Cause I walk my dog whenever I'm home and we play fun little music videos while we do. But there was a guy, there was an Uber driver and there was a, a gentleman in the back of the car who was pretty banged up. He was yelling and screaming. And the Uber driver just kind of looked at me and I said, sir, do you need help? And he was an old, I would assume a Chinese gentleman. And he said, I can't get him out of my car. And he said, I, I'm, I tried, I want to call 911. And I said, I got it. Don't worry. I'll call 911. You know, and I called 911 and they said, Hey, you know, can we have your name? And I said, I'd rather kind of leave it anonymous. I don't want to get involved and, but I want to get involved. And they said, no problem. Thank you for the call. And two and a half minutes later, the police were there and they removed this gentleman from the back of this gentleman's car. And, but who knows what happened? You know, I would have felt bad if I heard. I imagine if you if you're watching the news later that night and you hear about a an Uber driver who was harmed or or, 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 or injured in some way. Don't mind your business. If you think something's weird, question it. Have a conversation. There's nothing wrong with that. What's the worst that's going to happen? A stranger is going to get mad at you for a second because you interrupted. If somebody said that to me. I think I would probably be a little bit upset for that brief moment. And then I would say, you know what? Thank you for doing that because I would want somebody to do that for me. Yeah. So that's how I feel about that. I hope I'm making sense because I'm, I'm kind of worked up here. Like I am worked up. I feel like I need to do more. I feel like I really need to bring awareness to stuff. So, all right. So uh, it's called Let My People Go. It's LMPG. 
Um, uh, it's I'm sorry, it's lmpgnetwork.org. Uh, and that's where Raleigh Sadler works and, and runs and does all that good stuff. Um, and there's a thing here that says very simple. As the church, we can take people from a place of vulnerability and isolation to a place of connection where they thrive. And I think that's pretty cool. This isn't about religion. This is about safe. We're all humans, man. Let's treat each other nicely. That's where I'm going to end the show today is pretty simply straight there uh, or right there. I want everybody to go out and I just want you to be nice to people and don't mind your own business. If something's out there and you're questioning it, raise awareness to it and make a statement about it. It's that simple. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening to me. You guys know the deal here. We got to thank the boys down there at radioinfluence.com for being awesome on a daily basis, every single day. You got a podcast, you have something that you feel passionate about that you want to talk about, go call the boys at radioinfluence.com.com. You can Instagram them, you can tweet them, you can Facebook them, you can probably Snapchat them. I got Jerry's phone number, I'll give it to you direct. He might get mad at me because he doesn't like to talk to me on Thursday nights because I'm late with my notes every week. But you know what? These guys are awesome and they're really, really a huge part of the success, the success of this show. And I appreciate that on a weekly basis. Maggie Gagliardi does all of our illustrations and she's a rock star. By the way, check out this one. Michelle over there at Techno Solution. I got a whole new website getting ready to launch. Michelle is a true artist. I love watching her work. I get so excited to talk to her and our passion projects that we put together. The amount of websites that I own and and, and get involved in. She does like 75 to 80% of my clients' websites as well as develop menus. She's a friend of the program and I hope you guys can use her. So contact Matt, uh, Michelle out there at Techno Solution. T-E-C H-K-N-O-W Solution. All right, that's my show, and I'm sticking to it. Didn't get Duffified enough? Follow Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook and on Twitter at Chef B-R-I-D-U-F-F. Look for the blue verified checkmark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. motorcycles i invite you to listen to life in the fast lane hosted by me alan lane aka mr black moses on life in the fast lane i'll be talking with everyone about everything motorcycles if it has two wheels and in some cases three it's fair game for us road racing drag racing stunt riding custom bikes gear motorcycle clubs everyone from pro racers brand ambassadors industry insiders and celebrities to the rider from right up the block you'll hear them all right here on life in the fast lane hosted by me alan lane aka mr black moses life in the fast lane can be found on apple Podcasts, stitcher TuneIn radio google play and radioinfluence.com 